Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways Podcast. We are so glad you are joining us once again. This is episode 173, and we are recording on Sunday, May 1st, 2022, at noon Pacific time. I can't believe it's already May. I'm Terry Plecknett. We got Todd. We got Zach. Todd, we, we reported last week that you were taking days off to uh, to watch the draft. And uh, so so what, what's, your, how, what's your report? How did we do? Uh, I mean, I think I told you it was a very uncontroversial draft for the Seahawks, which is not normal. Like, I actually know most of the players, which is also not not normal that I know all our actual draft picks. But yeah, I overall, I liked it, except we don't have Baker Mayfield yet. But it feels like that's actually going to happen now. The fact that we didn't draft a quarterback, that all the other teams that were looking at Baker did. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense. Zach, I, 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 know, a, I, I know the Chiefs uh, tried to get Tyreek's replacement in Sky Moore. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited about Sky Moore. I thought we had an awesome first two rounds. I thought Trent McDuffie should have been a top 10 pick, and he's going to be awesome. But I have more questions for Todd than I do about the draft. You realize, Todd, doesn't the draft start like at night? Like, what, what's with the whole taking the entire day off? Is it just pre-gaming it all day? Because my actual shift is the evening, so that's the one time I would actually absolutely have to be at work. Oh, that explains it. That's not a fascinating answer. I, I was hoping for an answer of like, yeah, you know, just getting intoxicated all day and living at large, but I, I did forget that you work nights. Yeah, but he gets off at like eight. Yes. But, you know, I'm really glad that you guys didn't draft Cole Strange because he wasn't going to stay around for that long. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that video of McVeigh and Sneed reacting to that was pretty awesome. Yeah. I, I will say, I, I think my favorite draft pick was the, the defensive back out of UTSA. I forget his name, but he's like 6'4 and ran a 4'3. Like that that's that's the most that's the most Pete Carroll John Schneider pick that they actually made. Let's get the guy who's a physical freak and teach him how to play football. I just felt like uh Cole Strange was the Seahawks pick. I feel like the Seahawks have made picks like that a lot of first rounds and the, for the Patriots to take that uh honor was I guess a, a a big deal for you guys. So you're off the hook. You actually made a a logical pick. It was strange. You and the Jets. What what happened? It was strange, but yet not. We didn't pick strange. strange. Yeah. Does he not coming? Also, yeah. we, we drafted yet another running back. I mean, I don't know how many times we can draft a second round running back, but I think it's every season. Yes, but I think this might be the running back with the like best credentials that we've ever drafted. Like Rashad, Rashad Penny's Penny, like the all time leading rusher in college. Yeah, but him being a first round pick was a bit of a stretch. I mean, we picked we picked a like the most productive running back of the seat of the last year at the right time in the draft. I don't know if it, it, it felt right. Like it, it's the only one that actually felt good. Okay. I don't know. 
we got we got guys who are productive, not just guys who are physical freaks, which is different. Anyways, yeah. Are we going to come back in like 10 years and say this was all Kayvon Thibodeau's draft and anybody drafted before him, particularly <laughs> the Jacksonville pick, was just egregious? Like, uh, yeah. Know. Well, yeah. The, the, the guy dropped for one reason alone, because he wants to ha start branding. That's it? That's the only reason he wasn't the number one pick? That's well, ridiculous. off and stuff like that, but you could say oh, the same thing about the Bosa. Yeah, he's more clowny than he is like Javon Curse. I mean, I, I would... I don't think he's going to be an all-timer or anything. Well, I think he's going to have a better career than the guy from Georgia that they drafted. Trayvon Walker? I, yeah, I have no he idea how even, he went number one. He wasn't even the best defensive uh, end on that team or, or rusher on that team, right? How many linebackers did Georgia have? Like, I, I think they had, like, six <laughs> linebackers drafted in the first three rounds. It's like did well, they just it have depends <laughs> on if you if you count edge rushers as linebackers. I think that's a lot of I saw a lot of comparisons to, to of this draft and the Walker pick to the Anthony Bennett NBA draft and just the whole like what was that moment of the number one pick? Yeah, I I I agree. At the same time, Doug Peterson kind of knows what he's doing. Like the the Jaguars are actually trying to be boring now instead of Urban Meyer and all that all that stuff so uh, anyways I, I i hope doug doug peterson goes to bars goes to hooters and takes pictures with with waitresses there i'll miss that about urban yeah <laughs> well let's get into this uh, zach what are you drinking i'm having some uh wine from the rhone region of france which Ooh. I think it's a very underrated region and also a very underpriced region too. <laughs> is that how you know it's underrated is because it's underpriced? Yes. In our next deep dive of sideways in uh, what, two years, uh, one of my big flaws is going to be how Miles does not like French wine. But what, is, what is he thinking? I mean, French wine over California wine any day. I mean, we, we tasted it, you know, firsthand. That's at a true. French winery. That's true. Mm-hmm. Just think, all like, these all these years, Miles has infected my brain, and I've tried to buy California Pinots, and I've just never really liked them that much, and they're always too expensive. Just go French. Same I with movies. I still have that picture somewhere of uh, of us having to to smell the wine at the French winery, just like Sideways. Exactly. Anyways, Todd, what do you got? Mississippi Mud. Black and Tan, mm -hmm. my favorite beer. There you go. There you go. In honor of Chris Cross or Charles Cross from Mississippi, right? Oh, there you go. Yes. Mississippi or Mississippi State? I can't remember. Mississippi State. There we go. He's with Mike Leach. Mike Leach guy. Yeah, we we drafted two Mike Leach tackles. So that's great. Yep. <laughs> um, all right. So I've got another beer here out of Worthy. This is their uh, Easy Day Hazy Mango IPA. So it's it's got. Not a whole lot of alcohol content, only 3.4%, but it's super refreshing and like perfect for a midday podcast. So that's what I'm going with. Perfect. Yep. Yep. All right. Cool. Well, now we got that over with. Let's get into what we've been watching and we're going to start today with Zach. All right. So I watched a movie from Europe that was by a female director. 
and is uh, 70 minutes long and is about children and was shortlisted for the Oscars-ish. And it's not Petite Mama, which comes out next week. That's where I'm going to be, everybody. You're welcome to join me if you're in the Kansas City area. Uh, the movie is actually called Playground, and it was the uh, Belgium nominee for uh, Best Foreign Language Film this year. It wasn't an actual nominee at the Oscars, but it is now available streaming on Canopy. And it is directed by uh, Laura Wandel. And uh, it tells the story of, I would guess, about a six or seven year old little girl named Nora. And she's played by Maya Vanderbeek. And uh, it, the movie starts on her first day of school. She's the younger sister. Her, uh, her older brother's named Abel. He's maybe about two years older. And uh, because this is a European movie, it takes childhood seriously. There's no bullshit in this movie. It shows uh, the action, really, of the playground at this school that they attend, which is woefully under-regulated uh, by uh, old people and uh, who don't really spot the bullies on the playground. And so young Nora at the beginning of the movie, she's not the one who's picked on. It's really her brother. And uh, she tries to stand up to her brother, who is beat up. His head is put in the toilet. He's thrown in a trash can. Some really horrible things that happen that I think an American movie would have kind of treated lightly. But because this is a French movie, it kind of recalls how terrifying uh, a playground really could be for a six or seven year old. Um, and, and, and just how toxic and, and menacing bullies can be. Uh, and then the movie does something kind of interesting. This little girl tries to stand up for her brother, uh, much to you know, no avail when, when she tries to do that. The bullying only gets worse. And then kind of something sort of shifts. She almost starts losing respect for him because this older brother doesn't really stand up for himself in any way. And then it kind of shows the brother sort of ingratiating himself with the bullies or at least trying to at a certain point. Um, really fun movie. This is a total Zach movie. Depressing, handheld, Darden type shit with young children. I mean, I love it. Give me more of it. And uh, I didn't love this movie. I, I felt like it was kind of missing the Dardenne sort of larger structural critique of, you know, like educational institutions. And there wasn't a lot of grace in the movie like the Dardennes do. But it was a really solid movie. And I got to hand it to the filmmaker because I would think working with young children would be really difficult, particularly like six and seven year olds. But this young actress was a natural. She was awesome in the movie. And uh, it's a pretty cool movie. I'm excited to see Petite Maman. This is like the appetizer to it. And I give Playground three stars. Very nice. Have you seen that one, Todd? I have not. Yeah. Definitely worth checking out. And I love the 70 minute running time. That was that was beautiful. <laughs> I mean, I mean that that earned it a half star right there. That's true. Yeah. Yep. All right. I'll go next. Uh, for my Oscar watch this week, I went back ten years to 2012, and one of the best documentary nominees. I think it's one that no one else had seen yet. It is called The Invisible War, uh, directed by Kirby Dick, and it um, is a uh, documentary that highlights the. Uh, epidemic of rape of uh, soldiers in the U.S. military and some of the problems with that, some of how the military sweeps the, the problems under the rug and uh, and how they try to completely ignore it. This was a really fascinating documentary as they um, they interviewed several uh, several victims of uh, of this culture that's kind of out there. Um, they give some insane statistics all of which it says at the very beginning are like were like made and and discovered and calculated by the by the US government. So it's like it's it's not like it's it's coming up with its own statistics here. This is stuff that 
that everyone already uh, or that the government recognizes is a problem, uh, but they don't necessarily do as much about it as they should. Um, some of the some of the pieces felt a little staged as you were trying to see like slice of life stuff of some of the victims, but uh, I mean that this this documentary is really really powerful um, as it goes through talking about exactly what um, what goes on and how these people who find themselves in these situations. Uh, the way you handle it in the military is you report it to your superior officer who sometimes is the person that they are reporting on, or they are very, um, very close friends with the people who are, who they're reporting on. And, uh, and it, it just is a bad system. And one of the postscripts it says at the very, at the very end of the movie is, uh, that this was shown to the, um, secretary of defense. I, I think it was secretary of defense or someone in the national government. Um, and two days after they saw it, that that policy of who you report this kind of abuse to changed um, because they watched this movie. So, um, like I said, it is a really powerful movie. Some of it felt a little forced and a little staged. I'm giving it three and a half stars, but it's definitely worth a watch uh, if you can uh, if you can find it. It is on uh, it's on HBO Max right now, actually. So it's easy to find. But yeah, that's the Invisible War. Have either of you seen this or heard of it? I remember it getting nominated, but I haven't seen it. Okay. Yeah, I've not seen it either, but I'm a big admirer of Kirby Dick. Uh, he also did, um, most recently, Alan versus Pharaoh and The Hunting Ground. And the film that at least partially inspired me to write my undergrad thesis, this film is not yet rated, which is his critique of the rating system. Um, and he also has, a, it looks like a, a recent um, original on HBO Max called Not So Pretty, which looks interesting. But uh, no, I've never seen it. And uh, I, I'm very much looking forward to watching it at some point. Sounds really interesting. It's worth a watch. 90 minutes, HBO Max. Not necessarily light fare, but um, but a, an important movie to watch for sure. All right, Todd. Uh, well, I didn't watch any movies necessarily. Like Thursday, draft. Friday, draft. Saturday, Ozark, the final seven episodes. So I could talk about that a little bit, which I think is one of the best shows that netflix has done uh the final season was split into two i reviewed the first half like i'm back in january but i don't know why they actually split it in two it wasn't for emmy like maximization so i don't know why they did it but that's what they did um it's showing the aftermath of the, like the fatal ending to the first half of the season and i think the show does a really good job at not being predictable they have no problem just offing principal characters so you're, you're always kind of on edge, like it's similar to Breaking Bad is dealing with cartel bosses and stuff. So, I mean, but this uses it to the maximum and really has a lot of like more about politics and violence and more realistic portrayals of uh, that than the AMC show did. Um, Jason Bateman is great as always. Laura Laney is just deliciously over the top. And I think Julia Garner probably is going to win her third Emmy for this. Um, we can introduce to a few new characters uh, that they throw into it. Uh, uh, like Senator, um, a Senator played by Oscar nominee, Bruce Davidson. Uh, they become like principal characters in this part of the season. Omar Navarro is sort of behind bars. Most of it, most of the, uh, this season. So we actually have new people like rising up and taking control. Um, it's kind of an unsettling ending, not just because of uh, the ultimate fate of some of the characters, but because there's so many unanswered questions, it would be like if you ended breaking bad after season four. Like, the, like you're just kind of left hanging. There's so many characters and so much aftermath that you just don't know what happens. So, but it is Netflix, so they could have some sort of El Camino type of 
movie at some point or maybe like what they did with prison break season five down the line like a one-off season where they explain what happened uh jason bateman directs a few episodes and he's i think he's going to be oscar nominated as a director at some point like he's a really dark and moody styling some of the best tv episodes are him directing it it's a good final season it's not great they needed to end it though because the kids are are like now in their like mid-20s playing 13 and 14 year olds some of them so they really (laughs) did need to end it but uh I would have liked to uh, have at least a few more episodes or maybe one more like small season to see exactly uh, the aftermath of what happens. But if I'm rating it, I give it three stars. Uh, not up to the heights of the show, of the show's best stuff, but it's good still. Very nice. Very nice. I still need to start Ozark. I probably should do that. Probably. I've watched the first two seasons. Never got past it, but really admired it. But it's a commitment, you know. It's like it's like Breaking Bad in the sense that it's compelling to watch, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot of dialogue, a lot of characters, and it's the best and worst thing about complex TV in this era, which is that you know it's awesome, but it's you know it's a commitment. But I I love Julia Gardner, and I think I agree. Jason Bateman's great in everything he does in that show. Yeah, right. the show. I don't know. I mean. It, it, it almost feels like it'd be better if it wasn't Netflix, if it was, if it did like a weekly thing, because it is one of those that you need to digest each episode. And, but when you can just binge through the whole thing, you're probably going to miss a lot of it. Yeah. I, I was, I was starting to wonder about that too. Should Netflix start to go away from that model of here's your, here's your whole season, binge it as fast as you can. Yeah. It's I mean, like HBO max is doing that. Like with the flight attendant, it'll, it'll release two episodes at a time or whatever mm-hmm. so then you're not you're not binging the whole thing and that's a similar like very plot driven show so i mean i think it'd be a good idea well everything that's coming to disney plus all the marvel shows Unite. there they're going one at a one at a time yeah 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 it's something, something to think about for sure it, it it keeps it like in the in the consciousness of everyone a little longer other than it feels like netflix is so much a you know Oh yeah, this was what was out this week. All right, moving on, and uh, and yeah, okay, let's move on. It is now time for our featured review, and this was a very very slow week at the at the box office. The only real new movie that came out was I think it was called Survivor. No, that's what we're reviewing. Memory. It was Memory. It was some other really which boring. flopped. I think it was like six at the box office. It was the only new release. Yeah, Liam Neeson, directed by Martin Campbell. I wanted to see it, and if I had gotten to the movie theater this week, uh, I would have, but I didn't get a chance to. But uh, what we're reviewing is a straight to HBO Max, um, and this is one that has been around and talked about for a little while. Todd, I think you said you had it on your Oscar predictions last year. Yeah. Um, it, it debuted at toronto last year uh hbo picked it up which is kind of a bummer because then you you're not going to see any potential uh, awards uh recognition for for anything in here well emmy 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 possibilities but not a uh, not oscar possibilities anyways what we're talking about is a movie called the survivor i've only fight marciano i will plaster your story all over the east coast it says that you made the deal to survive by fighting you're a traitor! You think Leia's gone? I hope she's alive. And we'll keep looking for her. I have to be famous across America. And uh, I'm going to go first on this. <clears throat> this is starring Ben Foster, 
Nikki Creeps, Billy Magnuson. Uh, let's see here. You've also got uh, Peter Sarsgaard, as always. He has to be in everything apparently now. Uh, John Leguizamo pops up, and so does Danny DeVito for some reason. Uh, directed by Barry Levinson, um, who still makes movies. How about that? Um, realize it. Yeah. Anyways, this is based on a true story about a uh, man named Harry Haft, who uh, survives Auschwitz in uh, World War II uh, by boxing his way through. Uh, he's he's kind of kind of gets known as a fighter and um, is really protected by a German officer played by Bill, Billy Magnuson uh, in in kind of a really fascinating uh, different take on a on a. Uh, on a Nazi officer than you normally see. Um, and anyways, he, he survives by, by fighting his way through, through uh, the Holocaust and then comes out the other side. And there's one thing he knows how to do and that's box. And so he becomes a, a professional boxer as he's constantly looking for his, uh, the love of his life that he lost, uh, uh, lost track of before um, everything went down with world war two and the Holocaust. And he's constantly, trying to find her and trying to get himself known uh, partially so that he can find her. Vicky creeps plays someone who's uh, trying to help him find her and then eventually starts to fall for him as well. Uh, this movie is all about Ben Foster and he disappears. I mean, he's old. He always disappears into his roles, but uh, he's pretty much unrecognizable at different points in this movie. And, uh, it is possibly the most understated Ben Foster could possibly be. I mean, he is known for being an in your face type of character actor. And this is something where I feel like for the most part, he kind of, he's so subdued and so quiet in much of what he's doing here and really uh, owns this character. It, I think it's one of his better performances for sure. Um, Vicky creeps also does an amazing job. Like I said, Billy Magnuson, uh, I, I was really impressed by him and especially impressed by this character. Uh, a lot of times when you're dealing with uh, with Holocaust movies and you're dealing with uh, with Nazi officers like this, either they are the the complete um, epitome of evil, like uh, like Ray Fiennes in Schindler's List or someone like that. Or there's someone that you try to sympathize with uh, that uh, is is someone who is just kind of going going with what's going on, but he doesn't really believe in it. Uh, Billy Magnuson is somewhere in between. Uh, he states very clearly at one point that he really doesn't believe any of the stuff about uh, the evil of, of Jews, but at the same time, he's one evil dude, and he's uh, and he's going along with it because he sees it's his way for power, um, not not his way for survival. He sees power in this, and but he doesn't really believe in any of it either. So it, it's a fascinating character that is a, a picture of that. Um, that caricature that you don't normally see. Um, I I really enjoyed this movie until about the last half hour. I think you could have chopped the turned the last half hour into about five minutes, and it would have been a much a much tighter, better picture of what's going on in this movie. Uh, but uh, I'm giving it three stars. Um, like I said, that the ha last half hour just dragged on forever and was a third act that we didn't need that really could have just been done in a few little snapshots. But other than that, I really, really enjoyed this movie. And, uh, and yeah, three stars. Uh, let's go to Zach next. All right. Well, you really, really enjoyed this movie. I really, really did not enjoy this movie. 
Um, this was, uh, to me, a classic sort of Hollywood producer studio meeting where they say, okay, guys, here we go. Let's get Barry Levinson back on the saddle. Who knows where the, where the hell he's been? His son has obviously been places. Let's get Ben Foster that Oscar nomination. And that's going to mean he's going to have to Christian bail it, lose 50 pounds and gain 100 pounds, whatever. We're going to give him that elusive Oscar nomination. Here's the premise. Schindler's List meets Raging Bull. A little bit of Sophie's Choice in there. I mean, how can you go wrong? That's Oscar. That's that's Oscars, right? Um, in all seriousness, I think this is a really interesting true life story. It, and it's kind of sad because it seems like a lot of what this movie was based off of was fact. Harry Heft is a really interesting figure that I had no idea who he was or what his story was. And I agree with Terry. Ben Foster's performance is amazing, I guess, because he did lose all that weight and he has hair for once. It's kind of like seeing J.K. Simmons with hair. It's kind of weird. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got the busted up nose. He looks like Robert De Niro. I mean, they must have said we're going for the Jake LaMotta, Bobby De Niro look. Right. That's and point, yeah. uh, we can't get Joe Pesci. Uh, so we'll get Danny DeVito second best right in fact this movie does feel a little bit like the irishman in the sense that it probably could have been made 30 years ago without a lot of changes um basically this movie is just classic oscar bait and it's not compellingly told the dialogue is always on the nose um you know you get a holocaust survivor they're not gonna particularly a holocaust survivor whose second language is english and is a is a boxer who probably has some brain damage you would think after going 20 rounds with that french dude he's not going to be that articulate in how he talks about his memories and the guilt and the trauma of the camps right um i felt like this movie was just kind of lazy i thought this the flashback scenes that's the most interesting part of the movie was uh how he survived the camps and yet it's sort of an afterthought in this movie it's just treated as flashback um and the search for his long lost love again it feels like a movie sort of plot contrivance type thing um the multiple timelines feels like they watched once upon a time in america and just said oh hey they got the three timelines that's kind of interesting let's do that in this movie um the ending uh, is not deserved, as uh, some other film critics that we enjoy like to say. It, it, it feels like they thought that final scene between the two characters, I won't say which two, but if you've seen the movie, you know which two. Uh, it feels like there's like poetic irony and tragedy in some details that are revealed. And it to me, that feels like a movie. It didn't feel earned. It feels like they wanted us to cry at that moment. But in part, it's not earned because the main relationship in the movie uh, between these two lovers is never shown. They literally have one scene kind of at the beginning of the movie, um, but we don't really know uh, their relationship. And I get it. You know, uh, this one of the people was taken away by the Nazis and it was they were certainly torn apart for all these years. But uh, to me, it just wasn't that emotionally moving. Um, I think there is an interesting movie to be made somewhere about, you know, a son who doesn't quite understand why his father has nightmares at night, night terrors of the Holocaust, and a father who refuses to go into those details. So, like, on paper, it's kind of an interesting approach in the last 30 minutes, but it's a total detour from the rest of the movie. The training sequences just feel like they go nowhere. It feels like it's almost like Rocky in a way. Uh, the scenes with, uh, uh, you know, D Danny DeVito feel like an elongated cameo performance. I don't know. It just felt it felt uncomfortable watching this movie. It just felt like a missed opportunity for for a lot of reasons. Just kind of classic Oscar bait. And as good as Ben Foster is, I got to say it, 
All I kept thinking about was Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder. This is a role that Kirk Lazarus would have nailed. I give this movie two stars, <laughs> and that's generous. Uh, oh, man. All right, Todd. Yeah, well, I'm between you, of course. Uh, I do like Ben Foster a lot. He's unrecognizable, as you guys said. It reminded me of this movie I watched a few years ago called The Prayer Before Dawn, which was another movie about a, a guy who's like in captivity and boxing his way through it. Uh, but it makes sense that it got stuck at HBO because it does have a lot of those like standard arcs. Uh, it's like, I mean, it is like probably the most high profile TV, actual TV movie in a while because they don't really make those anymore. But um, it also reminded me of Unbroken, the Angelina Jolie movie, which is another like very big Hollywood produced thing. Beautiful to look at, but probably mishandled. Like the Auschwitz sequences are black and white. It reminded me of American History X and how they did that. But uh, they return to, I think, way too often. Like there's too much pulling at the emotions. But Foster is like an animal in those scenes. I mean, he's, he's great. And uh, um, I don't know. It seems like a pretty uh, traditional TV movie mixed with this big Oscar-seeking historical epic. And I'm, I'm as torn as the movie is sort of in how it's told. Uh, it's dry. It's way too long. I will follow Ben Foster anywhere, but I can't quite get there with this. And, and so I'm at two and a half stars. Does Does Ben Foster age? I, I have mean, no idea how old he is. Well, yeah, I'm, but you you look at him in like the the um in the concentration camp sequences and like that 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 looks like it could have been shot 15 years ago. Um, I don't know. He he's just one of those that feels like he never ages. It's possible that this movie was shot 15 years ago because Barry Levinson was the director. I feel like this movie's probably been in long development and they've been waiting to release it, but maybe COVID impacted. I don't know, but I don't know how this movie was released May 1st or whatever it is, but this feel this, this felt like 20 years ago, this would have been a shoe in uh, to release by Miramax studios in November to get loads and loads of Oscar nominations. Right. It's a throwback in a way. It really is. I, I would agree with that. It, it definitely feels like a throwback. Um, I just don't know it, if this formula showcase. I think we're we're in a post post world. We're in a post modern world, post post modern world, whatever you want to call it. And I just think audiences can see through it at this point. Like you're telling you're telling an adult mature story, so you're not gonna you're not gonna have the MCU crowd watching this movie. You're gonna have intelligent people watching this movie. And I think we they've seen better better versions of this story. And I think they can see through the plot contrivances a little bit. And what does that leave? I mean, it leaves a really good performance slash body transformation by Ben Foster, but. I don't. I think there's a lot left on the table. Twenty years ago, this gets nominated for best picture. Probably, it's a yeah, it's a Weinstein movie for sure. Um, yeah, it's a Weinstein movie, and it and it goes in the same same categories like Ray or Capote or or something like that. That's a little more of a traditional. Should even English patient. English yeah. patient. Yeah, there you yeah. go. And, and so Barry Levinson is directing the other Francis Ford Coppola making of the Godfather movie, the one with Jake Gyllenhaal and Oscar Isaac. So that so he is still working apparently, but that's also now in this context, it now seems like that's probably not going to work. Well, and I, and I was looking, he's this is his fifth movie in the last ten years. So I mean, he is still working. He's mainly doing HBO movies, like he did The Wizard of Lies with Robert De Niro. He did the Joe Paterno movie. Mm -hmm. Um, so I mean, he, he is making movies. He did the You Don't Know Jack movie with uh, but he hasn't, playing Jack Kevorkian. He still thinks it's like the 1980s. I mean, this is like, it's. I think it's kind of sad. Like, his filmmaking style has not evolved. He's still working with the same actors that he always worked with. Like, 
his son gets it. Why doesn't? Why can't Sam have a conversation like, "Dad, we need to talk." Like it's like the opposite of the father-son relationship in this movie. It's like, "Dad, we need to talk. You just need to you need to let it go. You can executive produce Euphoria. That'd be great, but you, you can't be a director anymore, Dad. It's it's gone. Yeah, the, the era is over." I was gonna say it's because he's eighty years old. That might be exactly, right. it, exactly. And you know, we're not talking about the Holocaust. We're not talking about this character. We're talking about the, the movies that this reminded us of, which to me is a, is a sign that this movie is a failure. I'm going to throw out another movie that this reminded me of. I don't know if you've seen it, Todd, but Enemy is a Love Story, the Paul Mazursky movie from the late 80s with Angelica Houston, also about an Auschwitz survivor set in part on Coney Island like this movie is. That movie just did a, such a better job of looking at like how survivors uh, you know, came to the United States as immigrants and could never really get past the trauma and the violence of the camps. And like, I just kept thinking like that movie did such a better job than this movie. And I can't, I can't get past that. I know we're not supposed to do that where these movies exist in a vacuum, but it's, it's, it's hard to not think of similar material that was handled better in other formats. I don't know. This movie still had me pretty fascinated and engaged throughout. Like I said, until that last half hour and, and it, and it decided to try and tell a, completely different story as a little coda on the end of the movie it that that kind of threw me off but the rest of it i thought was was pretty compelling all right well three and three stars for me two and a half for todd two for zach it thumbs is up for terry for going in in the right order you know right, i was exactly. i was worried. listen i knew exactly how the three of us were gonna feel about this movie i was worried that you know that you'd like start with todd then go to terry no you a, a plus for you terry you you nailed it you know it's nice always job. just completely it's random like the chief's draft an a plus yeah. great job there, there you go there you go uh it's easy to find on hbo max if you want to check it out um ben foster has always been an underrated actor and if you want Very to see true. if you want to see him do his thing like in a way that he rarely gets a chance to do because he never gets a leading role uh check out the survivor okay well part of why this week was a dead week at the at the box office is because Next week is the return of the summer blockbuster season, the return of the MCU. And so for our deep dive this week, <clears throat> we decided to go back 20 years to, I mean, it's kind of hard to decide when like the start of the superhero phenomenon happened. But I think this is one of those that one of those movies that a lot of people point to as being the start of the superhero phenomenon. That's that has taken over the 21st century, and that is Spider-Man. Are you all right? I'm fine. Hey, look, you're changing. I know I went through exactly the same thing at your age. No, not exactly. Wow. The first Spider-Man from Sam Raimi starring Toby, Toby McGuire. Uh, came out in 2002, celebrated its 20th anniversary very recently. So we're going to deep dive this. And uh, and also, I mean, Sam Raimi, he's the one that that's directing Doctor Strange coming out next week. So it, it, it all kind of comes together. Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire just returned to Spider-Man. I mean, spoiler it all makes alert. sense. But it, it all makes sense. It, it was it was the right movie to do. And I'm saying that because I picked it and I'm just justifying it to you guys before we start talking about it. Um, it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. So, Zach, you are the one that's starting us off with trivia here. So, uh, tell us how we're doing this. 
All right, uh, it's it's standard trivia because I've seen this movie a grand total of two times, and uh, you guys ostensibly know the movie better than I do. So we're gonna start with Todd and then go to Terry. So we'll we'll bid Terry a fond farewell. I'm out of here. You know how many freaking 2002 movies could we do, and we're stuck doing this shit? I don't know. I I mean, we can hold off on on spoilers, but I mean, okay. Anyway. Uh, I have 11 questions uh, about Spider-Man uh, that you can answer, and we'll see how you do. I, I'm giving you, I think you're a, you're like a plus 120 at this point. And I would maybe put some money on you, because I think these questions are pretty random. So we'll okay. see. Okay. Uh, first question. What is on the wallpaper in Aunt May's kitchen? Oh... I'm going to say cats. I have no idea. Uh, No, the answer is vegetables. Vegetables. Now, what's interesting is that uh, they repaint the kitchen later in the movie, but they keep the vegetable wallpaper. So you can't, you know, it's it's visible. It's visible. Uh, Next question. Three, three, worth three points. What was Uncle Ben's job? How long did he work there? And how old is he? Oh, uh, I I don't I don't remember that at all. Um, <laughs> it was I, I dare say it was probably in the same scene where we saw the kitchen wallpaper. I'm gonna say he was a a fireman, and he was doing that for thirty years, and he's seventy two. Uh, you went over three. Uh, but nice try. He was a plant senior electrician for 35 years, and he is 68 years old. I was pretty close on a couple of those. <laughs> sure. Uh, how much are they offering amateur wrestlers in the newspaper ad? Oh, uh, if you last three minutes, you get $3,000. That's correct. You're on the board. Uh, who is the, what is the name of the wrestler that Peter Parker fights? Bonesaw. Correct. Bonesaw McGraw. Uh, what is the mascot of Peter's high school? I don't I don't know. The bees? Uh, the Wildcats. Very original. Um, <laughs> you could see that in the graduation scene. Um, what is the name of the test pilot who suffers a bad fate in this movie? He's apparently the best test pilot they have. I, I don't remember what his name was. Uh, his name was Curtis. R.I.P. Curtis. What diner does MJ work at? It's uh... Now, this question you should get because there's some interesting kind of parallels with this. It, it stuck out to me watching it. Like... Fabrizio's or something? Like... I don't know. I mean, that's her boss, right? Uh, it could be, but that's not the name of the, the, the diner. The name of the diner is uh, Moondance, which is also the same diner that Andrew Garfield works at in Tick, Tick, Boom. Okay. Actual diner. That's, that's why I asked the question, because I thought... I Okay, I'm going, I'm going minus 120 that Terry gets that. Because that, I, I feel like that's <laughs> a point that he thought he would bring up, so I'm stealing it from him. Um, what celebrity did the Daily Bugle get a picture of in a thong? Uh, Julia Roberts. That's correct. 
Uh, who is the only person that Jameson trusts? Uh, his farmer. That is also correct. How much can Peter spend on a burger for MJ? Like $3 or something? Seven eighty-four. And the last question, uh, I will give you two points if you can get it exactly. Otherwise, we'll see whoever gets closer. What percentage of the stunts in this movie did Willem Dafoe actually do himself? 90%. That is correct. Two points. So uh, not a terrible showing. I think that one's terrible. <laughs> There's no way I'm winning that. Uh, you got six points. It's not. Uh, it's not uh, uh, horrific. Uh, it's not. It's not a runaway for sure. Hello, hello. I'm back. All right, Terry is back. Uh, Todd got a grand total of oh, so it's eleven questions worth 14, <coughs> fourteen points. Todd got six points. Okay. Okay. So you have you definitely have your work cut out for you. Um, okay. First question is. What is on the wallpaper in Aunt May's kitchen? Wow. Um, I'm going to say ducks. Vegetables. Uh. What three question worth three points. What was Uncle Ben's job? How long did he work there? And how old is he? Oh, he's 67 years old. Incorrect. 68. It was six. Yeah, it's, it's right in there. 69? 68 is correct. 68, yeah. Uh, he worked. Was he the head elect? He wasn't head electrician. Correct. I'll give you a point for that. At. Oh, gosh. Where was it? I don't think he says. I think he. Uh, he, he well, what I wrote down here is he was a plant senior electrician. Okay. So he worked at the plant and was a senior electrician. Right. Is that is that kind of what you're going with? Okay. Yes. Okay. I gave you a point. All right. I, 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 th I think that's about right. And how many years did he work there? Uh, 40? 35. Uh, how much are they offering amateur wrestlers to fight? $3,000. That is correct. What is the name of the wrestler that Peter fights? Bonesaw is ready! Bonesaw McGraw is correct. What is the name of the mascot of Peter's High School? Or what is the mascot of Peter's High School? Ooh. Um. Don't know. I'm going to say the Spartans. Uh, closer than Todd was. Uh, the correct answer is Wildcats. Very original. Yeah. Uh, what is the name of the test pilot who suffers an unfortunate fate? He was their best man, apparently. Yeah. Hunter? Curtis. Gah. What is the diner that MJ works at? Uh, it's the Moondance Diner. That is correct. Now, do you know the the, the, the parallel behind that? The multiverse theory? Uh, I well, is is it the same diner from Tick Tick Boom? It is the same diner from Tick That's, Tick Boom. I, I kind of figured it was, and it looks the same too. And it was a real life diner. It was. It was very fascinating. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, I bet Todd that plus one twenty you'd get that uh, that you would know that. Um, what is who? Who is the celebrity that the Daily Bugle got a picture of in a thong? Uh, Julia Roberts. Correct. That definitely ages this movie. 
who is the only person that Jameson trusts? His barber. Correct. How much can Peter spend on a burger for MJ? Seven dollars and fifty-four cents. No, eighty-four cents. Oh. All right. Last question. You are tied at this point. The last question is worth two points if you get it exactly, and uh, one point if you're closer than Todd. What percentage of stunts did Willem Dafoe do himself for this movie? I'm going to say 80. The answer is 90. And Todd got the answer exactly. So you are tied at six. We're, we're going to go to a tiebreaker question. Todd didn't think he had a chance in this trivia, but. Uh, I, all right. But I mean, I've, I got like, I was, I was 30 cents off. I mean, you were 30 cents off. That, that's, I think that's a half point, but okay, whatever. The uh, tiebreaker, as always, is where does this movie appear on the Zach Salt's 2002 uh, best of list? Can we get a list of how many movies you've seen? I have seen 73 movies from that year. Not as many as I would have thought. I'm going to say 51. 59. Uh, And uh, Todd is the winner of Spider-Man Trivia. The correct answer is 69. I have this movie ranked 69th of 73. <coughs> well, it's in your bottom five of the it year. It is my bottom five of the year. That's right. Right between uh, The Rookie and White Oleander. <laughs> Classics. You've got The Rookie ranked ahead of Spider-Man. I have The Rookie ranked below Spider-Man. Oh, well, now, ask me about The Rookie, which I have not seen in 20 years, or White Oleander, which I have not seen in 20 years. I, I haven't seen it in 20 years either. I also <laughs> haven't seen it in 30 years so yeah there we go all right well 30 cents off man 30 cents but that's a, and, it's a significant and, line you know and well and i todd todd did you even get a seven in the in the front of that number no yeah see i that's ridiculous but todd got the 90 percent of stunts done by willem dafoe that was impressive you gave him two points for that yes that that's the only reason he gosh <laughs> I, I uh, 30 cents and 10% off 30 cents a year off. I said the wrong year. Yeah. You were your year off with uncle Ben. That's true. Uh, all right. Well, I guess I'll start talking about this since I'm the one that picked it. So <clears throat> I remember vividly seeing Spider-Man in the theaters when this came out. Um, and the reason I vividly remember it is because this is where me and my date went after our uh, our junior senior banquet because our high school didn't believe in dancing, so we had banquets, and so this is basically our prom, and so we went and ate ate food, and then we went and saw Spider Man, and that was that was our uh, that was our night, and and that's and it's like one of the first times I remember like going to the movies like not as like a family, it. I, I and and it was to see this movie, so it's always kind of held a special place in my heart as being as being like the movie that made me feel like I was actually starting to grow up. Um, and I've always I've always loved it. I've always thought it was a really good movie, um, and really well put together. Uh, it, the the debate has has been uh, has started happening, obviously with the with the 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 Spider verses going on of who's the best Spider Man. And I don't know what re- even rewatching it. Toby Maguire does a really great job 
as as at portraying the spider-man and being this character that they that they wanted him to be in this moment um but and Willem Dafoe also a legendary villain one of the better uh superhero villains that you could come across just because it's Willem Dafoe uh you've got you've got James Franco you know right when he's starting to become something showing that he can do this and Kirsten Dunst coming off of Bring It On being MJ I mean you've got us and Virgin Suicides you've got this star-studded cast and then you've got like little bit parts like Octavia Spencer popping up randomly for five seconds I mean it's it's a loaded movie and it's it's just well done too. It, it it's it's really well put together. Um, uh, Toby Maguire definitely makes you feel for him. And again, kind of like our last deep dive, this is a a New York City movie through and through that is right off of nine eleven. And um and you you know you you have the the it became kind of a a laughing matter of you know you got to have Spider Man in front of the 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 american flag at some point but having him in that final shot in front of the american flag meant something when it first came out because this was this was in that post 9-11 world you were six months after 9-11 when this came out and um that was a big deal so uh yeah i've always i've always liked spider-man i've always liked this first one and uh i'd say probably the second one uh improved on it and the third one was trash we could talk about that one if we want to but zach and i saw that together at a midnight showing and it was horrible, but um, but yeah, I've always liked this one. It's good. Now, Zach, apparently you hate it. Yeah, so I have a funny story about this too. Um, so this was freshman year of high school for me, and I agree with you, Terry. This this I did not see this movie with my family. I believe I saw it the day it came out because, like Peter Parker, I was um, a nerd, and uh, I wanted to be a part of a newspaper, not the Daily Bugle, but I wanted to be a part of my high school newspaper. So. I said, you know what? I would really love to be a film critic. And I wrote film reviews for them um, my freshman year of high school uh, as a precocious little shitbag. And I tried desperately to go back. You know, I was like, I thought I was so full of myself. I was like making Bertolucci references. You know, what would the French New Wave directors think of this? I mean, you've seen some of my reviews on our website, right? You know how full of shit I am. And you can imagine me as a freaking 15-year-old. Like, oh my God. <laughs> so I I, def, I I definitely spent a good 15 minutes online prior to this podcast trying to unearth the archives of my high school newspaper, desperately searching for my uh, smug, curmudgeon, full of shit, precocious, uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Squid and the Whale type review of this movie. Could not find it. It's out there somewhere. We didn't believe in The internet was still a new thing back then, so we didn't. We actually had published paper. But uh, I do remember seeing it, and I remember my the, the journalism advisor saying, really, you didn't like it? You, you really want to go with this negative of a review? And um, yeah, I, I, I stood by it, and uh, I have not seen it in 20 years since. I did not like uh, the most recent Spider-Man, as we've all talked about on this episode. I do have to say, watching this movie, though, it was a strange experience. Uh, In a way, it was very um, primal, uh, is a word I would use, very primitive in terms of storytelling. It was not a Marvel movie with a, a multiverse, which congratulations i actually really liked that about this movie it had bright colors it had goofy acting goofy villains goofy costumes really bad cgi 
it reminded me of a simpler time in life. And if I'm going to make a crude uh, sort of allusion, I would say this movie, uh, George W. Bush is to this movie what Donald Trump is to the MCU. And I can't totally hate it. It has a sort of charm that is not um, as awful as what we've seen in the last 10 years. Little did we know the direction that superhero movies would go. Um, I read James Bernelli's review of this movie, and he has a great line, and he's at, at the, it's his second sentence in the review, and he says, long the underdog in the motion picture arena, Marvel has been able to catch up with DC. Uh, now, just listen to that sentence again. I mean, that is amazing to read. Long the underdog, but it's true. I mean, this really was the first real superhero movie. I, a Marvel had done X-Men, but that wasn't really a Marvel movie. I think prior to that, what? Uh, was it that uh, Blade, maybe, as a Marvel movie? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there, nothing prior to this. And so, in a way, it was kind of fun to rewatch it. It was sort of an interesting contrast. As, as immature as this storytelling was, matched with the obviously 25 to 30-year-old cast with Franco and McGuire. They didn't look at all like high schoolers. It was sort of a weird experience watching again. Um, it was not as bad as I remember it being, though. It, it was it was kind of a fun watch. Um, you know, uh, it's it's obviously not a great movie. I'm not as 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 uh, harping on the CGI as Roger Ebert was in his uh, infamous thumbs down review of this movie, but um, it's fun. I mean, there's some good sequence in it. There's some good chemistry, I guess. Um, Toby Maguire is is charming. I gotta say, I watch. I, I could not watch this movie without thinking of Player X. This is the height of the Player X era for Toby Maguire, and there's a story about how uh, between the, several of the crew members, there was a, uh, a running bet of uh, one running wager of a hundred dollars to see who could knock out Toby Maguire because he was that much of an asshole on set. Uh, wonderful stuff like that. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's fine. It's it, it, it's not a great movie. It's the way that I feel about that. Uh, the the Fantastic Four movie that came out a few years later. It's fun, innocent, charming, bright eyed, stupid costumes. It's 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 charming. It's the way that our generation looks at those early 80s superhero movies. Like like, you know, the, the, the Superman movies or something, but it's it's fine. Oh, man, I wish I had my high school review of it, though. <laughs> oh, I, I wish you did, too. That'd I wish. Cool. I wish. It's there somewhere in print. All right, Todd, what about you? Uh, I don't remember the first time I saw it, but I've seen this movie a lot. But I haven't seen it probably since 2007, right before the third one came out. Uh, it is weird watching it now. Like, the, the backdrop of whenever he's swinging around anything is, like, really bad. Like, it looks like... Mm -hmm. A video game or an animated movie or something and it's not supposed to but i remember it being like super crazy when i saw that the first time um i've always kind of liked it i'm, I'm definitely a bigger fan of spider-man 2 i i don't think this through the last like 45 minutes or so of this really work as well as i remember but uh it's it's willem dafoe at his you know most hamming it up uh villainous and uh yeah, I mean, it's still a fun movie to watch. I'm not the biggest Tobey Maguire fan, but it's a it, it's a cool cast. Todd, were you thinking at all about Player X when you were watching this movie? No, I wish oh, I okay. was. <laughs> Another fun little random character to throw in there is Joe Manganiello playing Flash. Mm, mm -hmm. Wasn't this his first movie or one of his first movies? It had to be. He looked so young in this. He was definitely older, though. He's like he was probably in his <laughs> late twenties. Yes, this I, was this was his first movie. 
film debut. One of the things I thought I, I think that's interesting with this though is uh is I mean you talk about oh they don't look like high schoolers, but really for only like the first like half hour, 45 minutes of the movie, are they in high school? Which is something that's very different than from the uh from the more recent movies, especially the Tom Holland movies. I mean, they've had three movies and he's still in high school. Um this one they high school doesn't even last for 45 minutes and and they're off on their own in the big city so it's definitely exploring a different part of the of the uh spider-man story yeah but it just it felt you know like we said the same thing about chris o'donnell and batman forever which i actually was thinking about a few times watching this movie they just it was just in an era when you cast old people older people as teenagers we don't really do that anymore right or at least we make a more concerted effort to make them look younger um and I, this movie also does the kind of she's she's all that type thing where it throws on the glasses on Tobey Maguire. And, oh, he's a nerd. When he takes off his glasses, he's Spider-Man. It's a little bit trite. But it's what they did back in that era, back in that sweet, innocent era before uh, the multiverse. Yeah, you had you had you never have that anymore unless it's Ben Platt and Dear Evan Hansen. There we go. Ben Platt. <laughs> would Hey, recasting idea. There we go. Now there we talking. go. There we go. Julianne Moore is Aunt May. <clears throat> So this was nominated for two Oscars. Do you guys know what they are? Definitely best supporting actor, Willem Dafoe. He was robbed. Chris Cooper. Visual effects ass. and sound. Visual effects and sound. There we go. So what won what won those, Todd? Do you know? I'm gonna say probably two towers in Chicago. Uh, I'm gonna say no. I'm I'm gonna I'm looking it up. I'm gonna guess that sound was Black Hawk Down. That was 01. Oh, was that 01? I th- I think I think Todd is exactly right. I, I I would say two towers maybe for both. Uh, best sound was Chicago. Oh, nice. Uh, and visual effects. That had to be two towers. Yeah, it had to be. I can't even think of that many other great visual effects movies from 2002 visual effects two towers beat spider-man and attack of the clones i am a genius i don't know how it was. i guess you could say minority report would have been a an option yeah yeah or nicole kidman's nose <laughs> oh that's probably pr- makeup that though. probably would have been in the best makeup <laughs> um which let's see here let me find makeup oh there were there were only two nominated for makeup free to beat the time machine you could also go with Nick Nicholas Cage as Donald Kaufman. But, you know, that good. Yeah. All right, well we we've been talking about Willem Dafoe a little bit here. So let's get into our Mount Rushmore of uh greatest well are we saying greatest Willem Dafoe movies or Willem Dafoe performances? Performances, right? Okay, Mount Rushmore of Willem Dafoe performances. Uh do we want to put forth a consensus first or let this play out first <laughs> i mean i it's not this movie right <laughs> N- no probably not yeah i mean i mean i could see it, i i think there's one that we could all say that is that should be the consensus though which is his oscar nomination Florida project which is is his first oscar nomination <laughs> oh was he nominated for the vincent van gogh movie well, he so was, he's got was, four nominations. Is that right? I think I think he's got four. Yeah. 
Okay, I think the Flare project is probably a fair um, consensus. That's not that's not the one I was I was thinking of. But oh, okay. Well, that's interesting. What were you thinking of? I was thinking Platoon, or was he not nominated for Platoon? Yeah, was, that was his first was nomination. Nominated. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. Platoon, but okay, I I I, I can go with that. I, I thought that would be the easiest. But that means that one of us has to talk about the Florida Project, and I think I'm the biggest fan of that movie. Then Zach, what what are you going to submit to Willem Dafoe's Mount Rushmore? But that's not that's not where my heart is. You guys know where my heart is on this one. Okay, I'll let's. Or, 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 how, all right, all right, all right. Let let let's let, we we break the rules all the time. We've got let's go with five. We're gonna we're gonna consensus the two that we've already said. Platoon there we go. Florida now we're Project. talking. Those, that was Adam's uh, pick. Adam's pick er, was early good. early. Early Willem Dafoe and late Willem Dafoe. I think they're both they're both brilliant performances for two completely different reasons. So uh, I'm okay with going with both. Um, so let's do it. So Platoon and the Florida Project are taken. Zach, where are you going to go? I mean, obviously, those are great performances. Mine is a total self-indulgent pick. It is Speed 2. I mean, when you're talking about great villains... First of all, it's an unenviable task going uh, being the sequel to the movie, the 20th best movie of all time, with maybe the greatest villain in any movie of all time, Howard Payne, R.I.P. Uh, uh, Dennis Hopper. So, you know, they couldn't bring Howard Payne back. I mean, they brought him back with nine fingers, but you can't resurrect the guy who lost his head, right? So you got to bring in a new villain. There's no Keanu Reeves in this movie. There's no bus. It's a boat. It's Jason Patrick. He's not quite as good, but Yon DeBont is back. And Willem Dafoe brings it, man. I mean, he, you know, he's awesome in that movie. I don't remember what his character name, John Geiger. Great, great, uh, so memorable uh, villain name. Uh, he's got the leeches in the movie. He's, um, you know, apparently he must have seen uh, Sandra Bullock and in the first Speed movie while that was happening because he gets the idea to rig the, the cruise boat uh, so that it has to hit the island for some reason that I really don't remember. I just remember his his Mr. Skin-esque, ah, with the teeth popping out. And I once did a really funny gif that compared... Uh, Willem Dafoe's crazed look in that movie to Jack's look in Sideways um, after the accident. And there's an un-eerie un un comparison between the two of them. Anyway, I love Willem Dafoe in the movie. You guys are rolling your eyes. I'll move on. It's my uh, uh, totally selfish pick. He's great in it. You, you, you forced us to consensus two so you could go with Speed 2. Yes! All I right. love Speed 2. By 25th anniversary, by the way. Alright, Todd. Better... better uh, Better sequel villain, Willem Dafoe in Speed Two or William Sadler in Die Hard Two? Oh, William Sadler for sure. Although I've never seen Speed Two, but it can't be better. <laughs> I agree. I agree. I've never seen Speed Two. But oh well, then okay. Better. What am I doing here? You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. All right. Well, when we deep dive it, you'll get a chance to watch it. All right, Todd. What do you got? Uh, I'll go with his first starring role that he ever had, and that's playing Jesus in The Last Temptation of Christ. Uh, not a lot of good performances in that movie necessarily, but he is actually really good. And uh, you could see the like the, the star in him uh, when, when, he's, uh, when, when he's making that movie, at least. Yeah, I still need to see that one, but I can imagine it's, it's brilliant. Um, good call. All right. Well, I kind of wanted to go with, with Spider-Man, but... But Speed 2 out there is a cartoonish villain already. I don't think I'm going to. But I'm going to go in another kind of kooky. I mean, 
Willem Dafoe is is a great is is just one of a kind in so many ways. But I'm gonna go with a movie I didn't necessarily love, but I love him in it, and it's one of the things I think of when I think of him now, and that's The Lighthouse. Oh, nice. I mean, <laughs> that's it, who he is now, though. That that is it. Totally is. It's just who he is now. Uh, and I mean that that character. Uh, think whatever you want about that movie. It is one of the more memorable characters of like the last five years. If you've seen that movie, and so I'm I'm gonna I'll throw uh I'll throw the lighthouse out there. Well, the Shadow of a Vampire. I was thinking Shadow of a Vampire too, but that one's just so just so oh, odd. Wild at Heart. That's probably his wackiest role. Yeah. Terry, have you seen The Northman yet? I have not. I didn't. Okay. I, I wanted to get to it this week. I didn't get a chance. He to. was pretty good in The Northman. It was definitely a lighthouse <coughs> type performance. Well, and he I just... really thought Zach was going with Antichrist. And then you go with Last Temptation of Christ. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now that would have been funny. We see. We, this is why we should plan these episodes ahead of time. I mean, he he's so varied in what he can do, though. I mean, you've got because you've got his his kookiness of the lighthouse and and Spider Man and Speed Two, and then you've got you know he he's the heart and soul of Platoon, and he is so subdued and and wonderful in the Florida project. And I'm sure it's probably something similar in last temptation of Christ. Um, and, and, but, and you've got everywhere in between, then you've got, Oh, he just kind of shows up and stuff like nightmare alley. And, uh, I mean, Who he's just he kind nightmare of alley. I don't he's remember the, all in that. He's the, the keeper of the geek. Oh, okay. It's kind of at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. At the beginning. Okay. I think I remember that. He's been a lot of sequels. Looking over his filmography, yeah, uh, uh, he was in Once Upon a Time in Mexico. He was in uh, Boondock Saints Two, All Saints Day. I'm surprised no one brought that up. Finding Dory, Finding well, Dory, he was in Finding Nemo too. True. Nymphomaniac is... Volume Two. Don't forget that XXX Triple X State of the Union. I love his. Do you think him and Lars von Trier hit it up? Are, is it like? Do you feel like that's like a Javi Nicholas Cage bromance? Willem Dafoe and Lars von Trier, because they've made several movies together now, and he's obviously an admirer, right? I suppose. He's also in the Wes Anderson movies, isn't he? That's yeah, true. he's he's a Wes Anderson guy. I was just looking here. He's he's been well. He was in French Dispatch. I think he was in Life Aquatic. Is he that much different than Nicolas Cage? I mean, he doesn't get the starring roles that Nicolas Cage does, and we don't think of things like Willem Dafoe movies don't exist, but I feel like at this stage of his career... It's more like, Malkovich. Yeah, that's not a bad comparison. But he's got a different gear than Malkovich does, too. He's got that goofy, cartoonish gear that Malkovich doesn't have. <laughs> like Conair? That's not goofy enough for you, sir? He's not the goofy one, though. He's just the villain. I mean, Malkovich could have never pulled off Green Goblin. <laughs> Can we say what maybe is on our minds, at least on my mind, is that I don't really think that Willem Dafoe's ever truly been great in anything. Like, even the Florida Project, I, I was kind of mystified by that Oscar nomination. Like, I, I obviously love the movie, but it's not because of him. 
I mean, and, and you know, he's he's an, in, his performance in Platoon. I think his character is more interesting than his performance. I mean, I feel and I feel like it's a fairly recastable role. Like now, I've never seen Shadow of the Vampire, so I, I will hold off on that because that seems like a pretty freaking sick role. But like, I've never really been overwhelmed by Willem Dafoe. Even watching this movie, my wife was like him. She's not a fan of Willem Dafoe. I, I don't know. I, I I I'm not in love with the guy. He he's definitely one that he can he's done so many different things, but yet he never really has had like that that starring role that puts him over the top. Well, I now, think Spider Man probably might have been that. I, I, I think Spider Man's his most yeah his most recognizable. Uh, I never saw what was it at Eternity's Gate. Any of you no, ever seen that one? Yeah. And he's I mean he's great in that. Not a great movie, necessarily. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I think we need the un unbearable <laughs> light. Uh, great. Uh, uh, we need the Nick Cage movie of Willem Dafoe. Like, he's someone who... who and Malcolm. The unbearable weight of massive talent, too, starring I, I, Willem Dafoe. Do you, know another sequel? <laughs> do you know how many times I've called it the unbearable lightness of being when I've, I've <laughs> said that I've seen it to people? I can't think of the title ever. Uh, That's why they just stopped stopped at the whole title, and when it was on TV, it'd just be like massive talent. Yeah, <laughs> I, really... yeah, exactly. Yeah, massive talent. Yes, there we go. All right. Well, let's uh, let's get into recasting this. Uh, now, here's what we decided. Uh, it's it's been 20 years, and we're not gonna we're not gonna recast it now because I mean they've already done that twice, twice since they made this movie. <laughs> And and kind of a third times with the with the animated Spider Verse movies. By the way, I'm kind of bummed that the uh, the sequel to Spider Verse got bumped to uh, 2023. That was kind of a bummer. <clears throat> so what we decided to do instead was we decided to go back in time, and now we're going to uh, cast a new Spider Verse uh, as if this movie came out in 1992. So who would who would be in all the main roles if uh, if Spider Man were to be made? in 1992 when you guys texted me that i thought it was a joke which is why I this gave is you what we decided last week okay I, I didn't remember that but uh i thought it was a joke so what i texted you back i will not be recasting but i did think it was a joke when you first texted me okay okay all right we're gonna i don't know why Peter that Park. would have been a joke i mean you said actors that were popular at the time <laughs> <laughs> all right well maybe i'll put i'll i'll, I'll consider it then all right, Peter Parker, Tobey Maguire. If this were made in 1992, Todd, who would be, uh, be Spider-Man? Uh, I said Jason London, who is uh, pink in Days of Confused. He is a similar, really, like, like slender build, but if you work out, he could probably bulk up to be Spider-Man, and uh, I think he could have, be the, the charming lead of a su superhero movie. Okay, okay. I'm going to vote no on that. I mean, that... <laughs> He to me, he's always Court Foster from The Man in the Moon, and he's just he's, I mean, he's a he's a good looking kid. I don't think he could really pull off a geek. Maybe you know, maybe as uh, they would they would have to throw on a lot of a lot of makeup and a lot of thick rim glasses. But uh, I don't know. I don't see it. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll go next. Uh, so I I tried to go with. I mean, this is like a leading man who isn't a leading man, and this. This actor never actually got a chance to be a leading man, but I think this could have fit him. I went with Robert Sean Leonard. 
Okay. Yeah. That's a little closer. I could see it working. I could see it working. Zach, who do you have? I, I beat you guys, just so you know. I'm really proud of this pick. I went with Will Wheaton. Right age, right build. Uh, never had the career, kind of in the same way that you were saying with Robert Sean Leonard, Terry. Never really had the career that we thought he could have had, and he would have been awesome. He is a comic nerd, but hes I don't think he could be a superhero. I mean, listen, I, you know, I, I think I think Jason London is just it's almost too obvious. Like, I mean, I, maybe not like the name, but like the physique and the type. Right. Will Wheaton is Peter Parker. And I think what makes, you know, um, the current Peter Parker, Tom Holland, so great is because he has that sort of childlike, more innocent manner to him, you know, and I think Toby McGuire did a decent job of that. But that's that's what I that's what I respond to positively with Peter Parker. Okay. Okay. I can see it. I can see it. All right. Now we're going to MJ played by Oscar nominated Kirsten Dunst. Todd, who do you got? Uh, I, I said Joey Lauren Adams. Uh, but this would have been like really early. She would have been at least the right <laughs> age. And uh, I've always liked her. She has a similar kind of raspy voice as uh, Kirsten Dunst does. And she could be the girl next door for sure that kind of role and maybe less bombshell ish, but more a girl next door. Yeah. Um, I went with, uh, so Kirsten Dunst got nominated for an Oscar. What? 19 years after this movie came out. Uh, this one, uh, won an Oscar nine years after it came out. I went with Jennifer Connelly. Mm, that's not bad. Would she dye her hair red though? Um, I think, I think so. Why not, right? That's Jennifer Connelly as a redhead. That That's would be a, interesting. That would be really interesting. Zach signing off just for that. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really kind of like that pick, Terry, because, and I like the way your list is evolving as a what could have been type, because that's sort of the way that I thought about my list too. Like actors who maybe didn't quite have the the career that we were expecting, maybe in 1992, Jennifer Connelly. You know, she's in that movie with Dennis Hopper that, that no one saw. She, this is kind of like, you know, when she really wasn't doing a whole lot in 1992. So I, she, I, I, she was she was right at the point where she was breaking out of being the kid actor and right. trying to be an, um, an adult. Yeah. She was How in that terrible. She? she was in that terrible John Hughes movie that was shot in a target. She uh, was like right around 20, 20 to 22, somewhere in that range in 1992. Let me look her up here. I wouldn't have thought that she's 50 now, though. Hmm. She was in well, that. She's in Top Gun Maverick, so. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, so she, she was born in 1970s. So she is currently, she'll, she'll turn 52 in December. Wow. Well, she was in, in your favorite movie, The Rocketeer, Terry. And I think that's what really kind of uh, set her career adrift after that. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Looking here, yeah. The Rocketeer. What is that? Oh, you've never. I've. I honestly, I haven't actually seen the Rocketeer, but I just know of it. <clears throat> yeah, it was. It was a movie about a guy who gets a jetpack. Joe Johnston. Yeah, Billy what Campbell. Billy Campbell. Jennifer Alan Connelly. Alan Arkin. Timothy. James Dalton, Bond. Paul Sorvino. 
This feels well, Joe like Johnson, a... the director of the first Captain America. Yeah, Joe Johnson, first Captain America, Joe Johnson. And I think Jumanji as well. This feels like a come to the stable. It does. How have none of us seen The Rocketeer? I thought you had seen it, Terry. I thought you talked about it before, but I must have. I'm confused. It happens. All right. Uh, Zach, who's your MJ? I went with who the studio would have actually cast as MJ, and that was obviously Winona Ryder. Yeah, that was the other one I was thinking of. That's probably low hanging fruit. Hmm. Yeah. I want to go with something a little different. Okay. That's fair. Harry, played by James Franco. Todd. It's, I mean, it seems easy to say River Phoenix, right? Yes. Ooh, yeah. Like he's the 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 James Dean of that of that generation. This is like James Franco fresh off of playing James Dean. Uh, he'd be a perfect Harry. Yeah, that's a good call. That would have been good. I went with Sam Rockwell. I, th- I think he could portray that, that bad boy image a little better. Fresh off of t- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles two. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Or was it the first one? I think it was the first one. Remember the first one. Revenge of the Ooze. Secret of the Ooze. Secret of the Ooze. Excuse me. <laughs> Come on, man. Can't All talk right. like that in wine country. Exactly. Zach, who do you have? I went with Rory Cochrane because I think there's no way that Harry isn't a stoner in this movie. I mean, the character of Harry was a stoner in Requiem for a Dream, if we're talking about uh, Jennifer Connelly. Listen, man, have you ever looked at a dollar bill? I mean, that monologue would have been terrific. And this maybe gets a little bit later on in our podcast, but I just think James Franco is way too monotone as Harry, and I just wanted more more, um, more of a dynamic performance. And I think Rory, Rory Cochrane would have, would have brought it along with the weed. So I saw a post on, I think it was on Twitter, that um, you want to feel old. The, um, the, uh, the HBO show about the Showtime Lakers, in that show, Rory Cochran plays Jerry Tarkanian. Whoa. <laughs> That's a trick. And it, and it actually works. Like, if you look at a picture of him in it, it actually works. How come Rory Cochran didn't become, like, the Seth Rogen of the 90s? You know, I don't know. I guess it was was free social media. Yeah. All right. Norman Osborn, played by the one and only Willem Dafoe. Um, So, so Todd, if Willem Dafoe wasn't still going to play it ten years earlier, who would have played Norman? (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's only one actor at the time who played uh, the button-up businessman, uh, and that's Michael Douglas. Oh. Not what I was expecting. <clears throat> yeah, I thought about Michael Douglas. Isn't he a little young? It's exact same age, actually, as Wilma okay. was when he made it. Uh, like that Defoe was... just seems older because he still looks the same, sort of. Did... Willem but... Dafoe was 47, I think, when this was made. But listen, I mean, this was the peak erotic thriller era of Michael Douglas. And listen, Norman Osborn is not a stickman in this movie. I know. Well, I mean, but the the trend at the time was if you're the most popular actor, you ended up in like a Batman movie or something. He he easily would have taken a a big superhero movie in 1992, I think. Has Michael Douglas played a villain before? Well, I mean, Wall Street, you could say. Yeah, well, okay, yeah. Other than that, like more of a like a straightforward villain like like this character. It's kind of interesting. I don't know if he has. 
Not that All I right. can think of necessarily. Well, I like I, I thought about Michael Douglas, but I like my pick a lot more. Uh, I went with someone who played an iconic villain a couple years earlier, um, a couple years before 1992. He uh, he played an iconic villain in another movie in 1992. I'm going with Tim Curry. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's that's closer. <laughs> the face, like I, that would be pretty pretty gnarly. It, it, mm-hmm. it could work. Same like same year as Home Alone two. It, it it could it could work it could work all right zach who do you have i went with the obvious pick i guess i'm just the obvious person in the draft it's obviously al pacino right because we're not responding to the oh. actor we're responding to the over the top no one could talk to their doppelganger in the way that al pacino would so come on guys it's obvious the very devil's advocate of him <laughs> that'd be funny Oh man! So, I didn't even think about Pacino. Really? I actually had Kaitel written Tracy? down. Like I think it's I think it's obvious, you know, and and you know he could say liar, liar, your pants are on fire. The year he was nominated like for two Oscars. Yeah, yeah. Scent of a Woman, Glengarry Glen Ross, and Spider Man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Uncle Ben, Todd, who do you have? Who's replacing uh, Cliff Robertson? Besides, again. Cliff Robertson probably could have played him 10 years earlier. Well, I mean, for Aunt May and Uncle Ben, I yeah, went with... Yeah, let's do these two together. Yep, let's yep, do these two together. You. Went with uh, grandparent characters that I loved in other stuff. So for Aunt May, I went with Frances Bay, who is uh, Happy Gilmore's grandmother. Oh. And Uncle Ben, I went with John Randolph, who is uh, Clark Griswold's dad in uh, Christmas Vacation. Both of them, I, 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 feel, I feel like a movie with those two would be really, really entertaining. That, that would be interesting for sure. I like mine a lot more. So so since we're doing both of them, Cliff Robertson and Rosemary Harris was the other one. Uh, who's still alive, Jesus. by the way. I, wow. Um, yeah, she's, let's see here. How old is she now? She is now. She'll be like 95 or something. I'm... Almost as yeah, old as Gary Levinson. She'll be turning 95 this year. Um, Cliff Robertson, I don't think is still around, is he? he... No. I think he died like. I was surprised if you had asked me if he was alive in 2002, I would have said no. Yeah, yeah, he died. He died in 2011. He won his Oscar in what, like 68? Um, let's see here. Yeah, yeah 68 for, for, for Charlie. For Charlie, based All on right. flowers for Algernon trivia. So, so my my uh, don't steal my, my uncle Jerry. Ben and Aunt May. My uncle Ben is Carol O'Connor, and my Aunt May is Olympia Dukakis. Okay. Yeah, I Olympia Dukakis is pretty. What? Uh, you don't know who... Yeah, all the family. All, all the family. Archie Bunker. Archie Bunker. Yeah. Oh. Okay. I can see that. Right. I can see. Yeah. All right, Zach. Thank you for not stealing mine, Terry. I was nervous you would. Uh, I, it was obvious. Uh, you got are all you bitches blind or something? Um, I went with Rance Howard and Gene Howard. I mean, come on. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, that's they could get a washing machine to fly. I bet my Pete could could ride it, you know, could land it. Excuse me. I, I thought you were purposely missing the line. Wow, that's <laughs> that was impressive. Okay, last one. J. Jonah Jameson, played by J.K. Simmons. Todd. Well, for me, this one was easy. I mean, I, I mean, it's not just because he was in the movie we reviewed, but Danny DeVito. Oh, yeah, it. that's good. <laughs> that's the, per, the, the perfect persona in 1992. That's very good. 
Yeah, that that's not that's not bad. I went with um, someone who basically played this role in another movie three years earlier. Not, not only that, another superhero movie. I went with Robert Wool. I don't know who that is. I've heard the name. Who who is he in again? He he's well, he's one of the coaches in Bull Durham, but he play he plays one oh. of the the crazy journalists in the first uh, Tim Burton Batman movie. Look him up. You'll know who he is. Robert Rule. Robert Wool. W U H L. Wool. Come on. You guys know who I'm talking about, right? I mean, I've seen the face. I would have never. Arliss? Yeah, he was an Arliss. Okay. Yeah. No, he's. Yeah. He's in Batman. He plays. He plays Alexander Knox in Batman. Yeah. He's. He'd be perfect for Jameson. Anyways, whatever. Cool. Zach. Uh, lot. I mean, this is this is the mo- one of the most recastable roles of all time in 1992. So I could just read a, a whole list. I went with Frank Langella. Uh, I went with the biggest stick man himself, Burgess Meredith. I went with Jerry <laughs> Stiller, Gene Hackman. I mean, just the, anybody. Anybody could play it. Jack Nicholson. Anybody. There's, it's almost hard to think of someone that would have been bad at playing it. So maybe that's the real question. Who would have been a bad Jameson? Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Yeah, well done. yeah. That's that's a good good one. <laughs> Who'd Nicholas Cage play? Maybe Nicholas Cage would have been a bad Jameson. <laughs> Depends on the era. This would be a 2002 would be a good... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Mid, mid-80s, he's Flash. He's a <laughs> Joe Manganiello character. Okay. <laughs> he, he, there is some roles he does now that he, he sort of is an Uncle Ben-ish. But uh, he's too I mean, that's young that. basically was his role in Kick-Ass. What, Uncle Ben? Yeah. He was, he was also an Uncle the... Ben type. I, I, well, I mean, but he also did action scenes, I guess. He, True. Maybe Bonesaw. Uncle Ben were a superhero. That would be his yeah, mid-90s. I was, <laughs> I was thinking Bonesaw. Yeah, that's uh, not bad. In the, in the era of Deadfall and Kiss of Death. <laughs> or he just like has the cameo like Bruce Campbell did and make him the announcer yeah. in the ring. Yeah. That's probably the most accurate call. Yeah. Spider Noir. We're the captain of the tugboat at the end. <laughs> there you go. He's gonna make it. He's not gonna make it. <laughs> All right. Highest war performance. We'll uh we'll start with Zach. Uh you guys are gonna hate me for this, but I, I'm going with JK Simmons. I mean, I thought he was awesome in this you movie. You said it was which, the most which... recastable role of all time. Uh, well, uh, yeah, yeah. But I can't think of that many other people I would re- recap. Oh, wait, shoot. No, I did write down someone else. I wrote down uh, Macho Man Randy Savage also as, as my other. Those were the two that I was thinking for highest war. Um, okay, screw it. You're right. You're right. Uh, J- Jameson is, is more recastable. Macho Man Randy Savage, it's got to be number one, right? No, you know, who else is going to? Maybe Jesse Ventura. But he was he was already the governor by 2002. The Rock. <laughs> I mean, oh, professional wrestler. not The Rock. I'll, I'll go with Randy Savage. Although I will say I was oh, I was pretty impressed by J.K. Simmons in this movie. I thought he was, I thought his his scenes had a lot of energy in it, and uh, I, I really liked him in this movie. 
Well, then I'll go with J.K. Simmons because that was who I had written down. Because I, yeah. I, I, ever since these movies first came out, I, it's that that was always the the role that you remembered. You remember all of his lines. I mean, he he's for and forever after this. I mean, even even up to when he's winning his Oscar, I'm like, hey, Jameson from Spider Man just won an Oscar. Uh, that, that that's just mm. it's just who I think, he was. I think even Juno's to the dead. point that they couldn't. They, and and here's here's how you know, they couldn't recast him to the point that they just recast him as the same character in the new <laughs> Spider Man movie. <laughs> that's true. That's actually a really he's good. Point. That iconic. <laughs> that means he should win, right? Because he's the one character that hasn't been recast. That automatically makes him the default, right? 20 years later, he could still play the same guy and it works. I think so. I think so. Well, but you could say the same thing then about Willem Dafoe. So, because he played Green Goblin in last year also. So did Toby Maguire, in case and you weren't that's noticing. True. That's true. Todd? Well, I was going to say Willem Dafoe. Uh, yeah, that's the other one. He. I just think of Aunt May just freaking out. Those eyes, those horrible yellow eyes. I mean, that's just the way his face looks. I mean, it's not necessarily the, <laughs> and it's not necessarily even the mask. Like, I mean, he he's amazing. He his voice and it, the just the, his smile. It's like Nicholson esque and and how just like diabolically it looks. Like he's like he's the 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 overall package of Willem Dafoe is hard to replace. It's true. It's true. All right. The uh, the Bill Paxton Memorial Worst Performance Award. Oh, he would have been a terrible Jameson. <laughs> <laughs> Give me pictures of that Spider Man. Yeah, he would have been. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't even say it in his voice right without laughing. He doesn't that even doesn't have. Work. Yeah. Oh gosh. All right. Um, my my worst. Yeah, performance... Absolutely dead rhinoceros. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, my worst performance is um is the the fighter pilot. What was his name from the trivia? You had it. Oh, Zach. Curtis. Curtis. Yeah, Captain <laughs> Curtis or whatever his name was. He was horrible. Yeah, he, he wasn't great. Yeah, because all all you see from him is his reaction to the Green Goblin coming up and and killing him. It's just like, no, no. I mean, it looked like it was from a bad horror movie. He was the worst. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a good that's a good pick. Has there ever um, been a, a talented person named Curtis? I Curtis, mean, Curtis Pride. Pride. <laughs> Curtis Pride? Cowboy Curtis from Pee-wee's Playhouse was played by Lawrence Fishburne. Who's Curtis Pride? He was a baseball player. Yeah. Okay. For the Atlanta Braves, which is the only reason. Cutest there Pride. We go. <laughs> yeah, there you go, Todd. All right, Todd, who do you have? Uh, I have Ron Perkins as Dr. Strom. Uh, so that is a scene straight out of Batman Forever. Like Norman, Norman, no. <laughs> like, I don't know. He's he's channeling some like really just stupid mad scientist thing, and he's not he's not pretty good. He's the guy with the general. He was the, he was the no. one that that said that it should go back to formula. Back to formula. <laughs> yeah. And then he uh, gets. Uh, he gets wasn't killed. the guy in the wheelchair, killed. right? He gets killed no. by no. killed by uh, the Green Goblin, his first victim. He was the one that helped that helped Norman have um, use himself as a guinea pig. Yeah, I kind of stopped paying attention during those scenes. Okay, they they were pretty bad. I mean, really, they, that, they, that's they were more rough. a scene straight out of like the Hulk. But all right, Todd, or not? You just went Zach. 
Uh, worst performance for me is obvious. I'm shocked you guys didn't say it. It's James Franco. I mean, geez, man. James Franco is awful in this movie. Uh, he, It's like knowing what we know about like James he was Franco hosting the now, Oscars or something. Exactly. It is so <laughs> like, it's, it's a weird thing. It's like low energy. He has no affect in his voice. Like literally, okay, all you got to say, dude, is someday Spider-Man will pay. How hard is it to say that line with enthusiasm and authenticity? All he says is, someday Spider-Man will pay. I mean, it's literally like he—he—it's like he's—it's like he's Joaquin Phoenix on the Letterman Show or something. Like he's trying to channel, like as Nick Cage would say, the future of acting, you know. And it's like it's a complete failure. I don't know what's wrong with him. He's sedated or something. He needs energy. And this is around the time you played like that strung out character in the, yeah. the movie. Well, yeah, and, and he and, was strung out. He, well, it was his it was his indie era. I mean, he was in the company that Robert Altman movie, and you know it, that's fine. And he's obviously talented, but like he's so dead in this movie. And is this right so around much... when he got a soap opera too? No, I think that's earlier. But like, I think of like Freaks and Geeks, James Franco. That guy was so dynamic. I mean, you you could not look away from him. He's awesome in that show, and he brings nothing to this movie in what should be a pretty easy role to play. That I think is pretty easily recastable as well. Should have been recast. Nikki Cat, there we go. Nikki Cat, <laughs> this role. maybe a little old. I get it, but, but like Nikki Cat energy is what we need in this movie, in this role. Uh, all right. Well, uh, then I'll go right back to you, Zach. Uh, the amazing Larry Big Tim High Roller minor character of the film award goes to. Uh, I'm going to go with Michael Papajohn as the carjacker, because. Uh. Looking at Michael Papajohn's biography, first of all, his name is Michael Papajohn. <laughs> <laughs> that alone is worth winning this award. But if you look at his filmography, it almost has as many roles as Eric Roberts, which is impressive. Uh, first role, Predator 2. But then let's let's go on. The Babe, Mr. Baseball, Mr. B uh, Little Big League. He was in three of the most iconic baseball movies of the late 80s. Dude, he told, I totally know who he is in Little Big League. He, he's been in every movie. I mean, He's the outfielder that runs into the fence and almost drops the ball, Todd. Okay. I mean, yeah. I remember the scene. I, I I would have to watch it. Tucker Kane. That's his name. Tucker Kane. His so on his IMDb page, uh, Carjacker and Spider Man is his third most um, well known role. His most well known role is the in gen contractor from Jurassic World. And I rest my case. I mean, this guy has been in everything, and <laughs> Michael Papa John. Um, who I think sort of commits suicide in this movie. I don't really feel like his death was really had anything to do with Spider-Man. I feel like he just sort of said, screw it. I stole Uncle Ben's El Camino and uh, I, I'm just giving up on life. And he just kind of jumps to his death. A la Batman Forever. I mean, that was another scene that was almost like ripped out of Batman Forever in this movie. But Michael Papa John, some, selling pizzas somewhere, maybe. <laughs> Uh, Todd, who do you have? Uh, I have Sham Omar Huey as the teacher. Damn you, Todd. Oh, that's a good call. <laughs> that's he's the same one I had. Super sarcastic. He he threatens the students for, for talking to the tour. Like, the next one who speaks will fail this course. I kid you not. I kid you not. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he was going for. But, I mean, I, I was digging him. Like, that, that teacher uh, seemed awesome. He did kind <laughs> of steal the scene in that... Yeah, no, and that, that was not supposed to happen, but I mean, he's a great character. <laughs> Let's not have a repeat of the last field trip we had, please. 
I, I, I related so much to him in that moment. Um, There's a it. lot. I could have gone with another one. The, that was the one I had. Like the, the Subway guitarist. Like, I mean. Oh, yeah, that's that's a good one, too. And Lucy Lawless and as whatever she. <laughs> Lucy, Lucy Lawless? What? She was the one that was like, a man in red tights sounds hot or whatever. Oh, that, I didn't realize that was Lucy Lawless. Yeah, if you go on the IMDb page, this cast is, I mean, it's astronomical. It's like pages and pages of cast members and some really famous people that weren't fa- We got Todd's. Uh, Elizabeth Banks. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, Muse, Elizabeth Banks. We got Octavia Spencer in this movie. We've got. Um, Gray. Macy that's, Gray that's as herself. Gray. That was wonderful, her performance. We need to talk about her. And now, uh, Macy like, Gray! It's like in 2002, that meant something. Did it mean it something did. in 2002? I think it was um, at the tail end of meaning something, but I, yes, I think you're maybe. right. Sarah Rodriguez, uh, a.k.a. Dr. Callie Torres on Grey's Anatomy. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. She was the cop. She was the one that said, Peter, stand back. Stand back. Let your uncle die in peace. Who am I going to go with now? You know what? I I don't see him on here, but I'm going to go with the Flying Dutchman. Just because he was horrible. He was horrible at his job. And all he cared about was his legs. I don't know. My legs! The the wrestler that lost him. Oh, okay. Before, before. The human spider. Um, yeah, I was all ready to talk about the teacher and you <laughs> stole him from me. Uh, I had a feeling you were going to say that one, because he's the teacher and two, because it was in the first 10 minutes of the movie when you have all your trivia. <laughs> well, that, I mean, but he was just, he was awesome. He, he's just awesome in that too. You also had yeah. Bill Nunn. Bill Nunn's been yeah. different stuff too. And in just like a, a throwaway thankless role. Um, yeah, yeah. Or is you can it, go with is it Jason Jim Paget as Flash's crony? I like. Is it that the same one. Jim Norton who's the comedian? Is he in this movie? I don't it's, know. It says Jim Norton as the surly truck driver, but it doesn't look like Jim Norton the comedian. Maybe it is. Yeah, know. it is. I think. Jim surly truck driver. Surly truck driver. I'm guessing during the the chase sequence. Oh no no no! That's that's what that. That's with one of the guys on the bridge, I think. Oh, oh okay. you're right. He's the guy who's like yelling at him. Like, you don't mess with Spider-Man. You mess with one of us. You mess with all of us. That, that's Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Good for Sam Raimi to keep getting all these random actors in here. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Stickman and Douchebag. We're going to Todd first. I mean, I don't think there are a lot of Stickmen. <laughs> um, I'm gonna say Uncle Ben just because at some point he probably was a stick man and he, uh, I don't know. I mean, it's Cliff Robertson, so yeah, and I just don't, I don't really have a good answer. And for douchebag, there are a lot of douchebags, um, probably led by um, Larry Joshua as the wrestling promoter, yeah, uh, that's good. St- oh, sticking yeah. him on his uh on his payment and uh he's gonna get away with my money you see he just needs to be punched but i'll have a conspiracy theory about him later all right 
I'll, I'll go next. Uh, so my stick man, I'm going to go with Michael Papa John as a carjacker. I mean, no one in 2002 had frosted tips quite like that and, and, uh, and didn't have some action because of it. And, uh, True. <laughs> and my, my douchebag is Enrique, the, uh, the, oh, the guy running the moon dance diner. Hello, Miss Watson. Okay, yeah, I have Enrique. theories about him too. <laughs> Enrique, uh, but see that was Jonathan Larson in 1992. Exactly, it would have been Jonathan Larson. That's the multiverse of this movie. Is exactly. MJ working at, at Moondance with Jonathan Larson serving? Because it would have been the exact time, 1992, right? No, it was 2002. In our recasting, it would have been the Moondance 1992. Jonathan Larson perfect. should have played Enrique. But well, that was not one of the recasting in, characters. Uh, in 1990. Yeah. Now it'd be Tony Sergusa. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Zach, who do you have? Uh, biggest douchebag. I went with Harry because, uh, according to Harry, Peter has been in love with MJ since the fourth grade, and he knows it, and yet he still swoops in. And steals her. That's I that's definition of douchebag right there. And I can't go with Harry as the biggest stick man. I'm gonna go with Norman Osborn as the biggest stick man, or maybe Green Goblin, whatever you want to say, because he talks about how you gotta, you know, these women, they're all after him for his money, and then you gotta let him go. You gotta what does he say? He says like broom him to the side or something like that. I can't remember his exact broom phrase. Him fast. Broom him fast. <laughs> that's that's, that's what a, a that's what a six man. Well, it's a douchebag. It's also <laughs> a stick man would say. Like I'm sure Burgess Meredith at some point says, "You got to broom him fast." That's stick man 101 right there. Other douchebags, obviously Flash, but Flash's crony looks like one of the guys in the girl next door that 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 ends up in the in the film. Like that that guy is even more of a douchebag, and I think Peter is also a douchebag. Yeah, Peter's absolutely a douchebag. Especially with like he says he wants to take MJ's picture and then he snaps like 30 pictures of her. It's super, I mean, super creepy, but it's also a really douchey thing to do because she was super awkward. She's like, uh, are you done? He was wanting I, to take more too. <laughs> I kind of think he's ripping off the Daily Bugle too. I mean, $300? Like, come on. He set up his camera. That's that's like newspapers are dying, man. Why are you stealing money from this, you know, publication? It's not very nice. It, it was standard fee. It was standard fee. Jameson's also a douchebag for having him only be freelance, though. I mean, that's like the biggest reason their newspaper is selling in Peter's photography. He He's a douchebag. However, secretly, Jameson is a hero of this movie, though. Because when like Green Goblin comes in and is about to murder him, he still will not reveal the name of uh, Peter Parker as the one who brings him the Spider-Man photos. That's true. It's like your favorite movie, Terry, The Post. You know, like they didn't reveal they didn't reveal sources in that movie. Where do you think Jameson ranks with the great journalism characters? Like we've got Lee Schreiber and Spotlight, we've got Tom Hanks in the post, and we've got Jameson, right? That's we that should have been our Mount Rushmore is newspaper publishers. I mean, he's got the best head of hair in a, of them all because he trusts his barber. He knows. The barber <laughs> MVP. <laughs> exactly. Not sticking exactly. though. No, no. Um, I want to know what Jameson's wife is always on the phone for. Like, <coughs> she's always calling his office. I don't know. So, it it, would a spinoff uh, of with Jameson look like Better Call Saul or something? Like, I mean, there, there's there's something there. 
We got like a half hour sitcom or something. I think the spinoff would be Spotlight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got a headline for you. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble in the Catholic Church. <laughs> we'll sell millions. <laughs> there we go. Uh, <laughs> all right. What what's the best scene in this movie, Todd? Uh, I, I was I was gonna say the Thanksgiving scene. Uh, kind of a lot happens in that. Uh, I love how Spider Man's up on the ceiling and he drips his his blood down. Like, why wouldn't he have caught it? I mean, like we've seen that happen in like uh, what Mission Impossible already at that point. It just seems so weird that he would just let it hit hit all the way to the floor. He's he's stuck to the ceiling. He doesn't need both hands, but. Uh, and then uh, I don't know. Yeah, it ends with uh, obviously when Defoe's storming out and stuff. It, it, it's a it's a pretty good sequence, and you and you get all of the main characters. I'm intrigued by that scene because Aunt May is sort of like you know she's like slapping him. She's like get her, get your hands off that food, you know. I know. She's like I don't care if you're gonna stab me. Like you're not gonna <laughs> you're not gonna cut that thing yet. <laughs> she chastises Harry too. Like she's kind of she's kind of an OG in that scene. Like she's taking control in that. So maybe the real question is, who's the better Aunt May? Rosemary Harris, Sally Field, or Marissa Tomei? Hot Aunt May is the best. Hot Aunt May is the best. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to beat. Uh, all right. Um, the other thing I noticed that was really interesting in that scene is how... Did you notice, like, their oven? Like, you can't open their door and, your, and their oven at the same time because their oven was right next to the front door to their apartment. Yeah, that that apartment is very interesting. I was thinking about the staircase in that apartment. It does not look up to code. Like someone could easily fall. There's no railing on an entire side of it. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a an interesting uh, an interesting. Why spot. would they have Why would they have Thanksgiving there? Why wouldn't they just have it at at uh, 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 what's his name's house? Uh, Norman's house. I mean, he he's he has a massive apartment, right? Probably wanting to celebrate the the new place and the. But Terry, you and I went to college together. Would we have ever had Thanksgiving in our dorm room? I mean, that's like what that would have been like. Well, if if we would have had a flat on on the Upper West Side instead of a dorm room, then maybe. I'm also very intrigued <laughs> by how Peter actually gets the cranberry sauce because he clearly does not have cranberry sauce. That's a like, valid where, point. Where, when did he have time Maybe to Maybe he that literally up? beat an old lady for it on the side of the street as he was coming back in. And did get hit by a bike messenger. <laughs> it's also like one little thing of cranberry sauce. Now, I don't know what you guys think about We should have a whole podcast about Thanksgiving, <laughs> but I think cranberry sauce is pretty gross. And uh, the fact that they only have one can of it seems to me that, like, it would seem that only one person likes the cranberry sauce. And maybe he's going to eat a whole can, though. It doesn't seem like it's enough for everybody, though, is the thing. It seems like like, it was a specific request. Like, maybe Harry asked for it, right? But it doesn't seem like something Aunt May would normally put in her. It was a giant turkey. Five of them there. There are five of them. It was the turkey looked very good, by the way. It did. It did. That looked delicious. Aunt May definitely cooked the turkey. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm one that I, I love cranberry sauce, but I don't like it with Thanksgiving because it messes with the flavors of everything else. Todd, I know you're a huge fan of cranberry sauce. Yes. Disgusting. Okay. Todd, Todd, Todd will take a can and a, and a spoon. 
Todd, do you like the cranberry, like the cranberry roll things, the circular things that look kind of like onions, but they're cranberry? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they're like no. They're almost like they're almost like pepperoni, but they're like cranberry, circular cranberry. It's something that my uh, uh you know, my father-in-law, Sam Ionolo, loves. And I think it's appalling. When we had him here for Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, he demanded that we make it or get it to, and it, it was absolutely gross. So Sam, if you're listening, it's it's pretty disgusting, man. Sorry, I, I, sorry I to go know. off track. I don't know quite what you're talking about, but I I had never heard of it either. Apparently, it's like you know how like you can cut you know like a salami, right, or a sausage. But so I think what you're thinking is just the can. Like you can get Maybe. you can get the cranberry sauce to come out of the can, like a like yeah a roll. yeah. So I you think just that cut that into slices. Is that what you're yeah. saying? Yeah, it's okay. absolutely gross. It's also like a dollar thirty at the grocery store. It tastes like it was a dollar thirty. It's just not good. I'm sorry. I don't know how we got off track. I do agree, though. Todd, it, this almost validates Todd's point that this was the most interesting scene in the movie because there's a lot we can talk about with it, but mostly having to do with the cuisine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Zach, what's the best scene? Oh, I uh, I went with the, the most iconic scene from this movie, the scene that everybody remembers. It's the kissing scene in the rain, right? Uh, like, if you're going to do a best of highlights of all, you know, of the Spider-Man movies, the one scene that you're picking from this movie is the scene uh, in the rain with uh, Mary Jane's wet t-shirt contest and, you know, the, 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 the mask getting kind of ripped off. I feel like at that point she knows it's Peter Parker. But, like, that's sort of an interesting component to this movie. Do, does she know? Does she not know? The movie's not smart enough to really ever capitalize on it. But I feel like if you're going to kiss Tobey Maguire in that scene and then kiss him 20 minutes later at Uncle Ben's funeral, very strange place to kiss someone, by the way, she's got to know at that point, it right? It was Norman's funeral. It was Norman's funeral. Oh, Norman's funeral. Well, really? I thought it wasn't it. Wasn't there Uncle it Ben? Was the, it was the, the yeah, last he, scene he, in the movie. Visited the, he visited Uncle Ben's gravestone. But... They're buried at the same location? That's a coincidence. Well, <laughs> are there only one cemetery in all of New York City and they had to be buried next to each other? I mean, there is like one gigantic cemetery in Queens that is or Brooklyn and, and they're from Brooklyn, I think. Right. Yeah, they're from the same city. They're from the same city. <laughs> I guess it would have to be Norman's funeral because Harry's there. Right. <laughs> I guess I never made that connection. I just assumed it was Uncle Ben's funeral, but he had died like, like an hour and a half later. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. But they're standing over his grave. Right. Did I yeah, get that he, part right? Yeah, they, they, he does visit Uncle Ben's grave. Yes, it's an it's an odd place for a first kiss. Anyway, back to the original point. The the uh, the that it's it, that's a that's a great scene from the movie. That's the most memorable scene. Yeah, I I, I would say probably the most iconic scene from any Spider Man movie, unless you're talking about like the three Spider Man all all hooking up in the last one. Um. I, I've got two written down here. I've got the last scene at the cemetery because that's where everything kind of sets up for the next one where you get what's where Harry's at and 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 Peter's having to deal with his best friend is his best friend, but also his best friend is now the sworn enemy of his alter ego. And then you also have him having to make the decision of what to do with MJ and how the moment that she finally loves him is the moment he can't love her. And, uh, and I, I, there's so much going on there and it, it's, it, it plays it really well, I think. And so that's one of my favorite scenes in this. The other one I really like is when he's, um, he's learning his powers 
and and uh, he's jumping from rooftop to rooftop. He's trying to figure out how to make his webs go. <laughs> go web, go! <laughs> Shazam! Fly web. I, I I always like that scene too. And then he finally hangs and he goes flying off and runs into the side of the building. It's pretty good. It's a good one. All right. Uh, I I think we're gonna skip the if there were a sequel uh, question. You think? On this one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Since there's been uh, what? How? Well, we even we even said the spinoff would be about Jameson, right? Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. Um, flaws, conspiracy theories, outdated, anything like that? Anyone want to throw out there? Uh, I have some. Uh, so the wrestling promoter guy, he obviously knows who Peter is and he hates him. Why does he never cash that in and expose him? I don't. I'm. I'm I don't understand that. The human spider. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that you know. Sucks. No, the guy, not the. I know, not, I know. Not, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, the guy who uh, who lets it, you know his money goes away or whatever. Um, they're also when when Peter is uh, spinning around with Mary Jane, uh, you could see the web is coming out of both sides of him. So he's obviously switching hands. Does that mean he's actually switching hands that he's holding Mary Jane with? And if so, like that'd be really awkward to just like be like you know a hundred feet in the air and just constantly be like throwing a body from back and forth on your body. Uh, they never show it up close, though. That's a good point. Uh, I also thought, thought the Green Goblin uh, reminded me more in this this time watching it of Zerg. Also, a little bit of the Dementor from Jingle All the Way. Um, sort of uh, over the top, especially when he gets hit with the web in the face. And he's like, ah! That, that was totally a Zerg moment. Uh, and Tobey Maguire, I don't think he's very good in this movie, but uh, he's definitely doing a Michael J. Fox impression. But he's like he thinks he's Jake Gyllenhaal, I think. I'm not really sure. It's one of those two, but he, he definitely is combining those two people. <laughs> and finally, um, when the New, New Yorkers are all throwing the, the stuff at, at the Green Goblin, I want to know where they're getting all this fruit and all these lead pipes from. They're just like, they just got out of their car. Like, how? Every New Yorker keeps a lead pipe in the trunk. <laughs> yes. Multiple <laughs> lead pipes and, and a whole bag of fruit, apparently. They're just like chucking like constantly at him. Uh, it seemed a little far-fetched, but I mean, who knows? That's a good one. That's a good one. I had a couple things. One thing I felt the opening, uh, the opening credits felt like a Tim Burton movie with all the, with all the web mm. webs and the kind of, and, and then like, and even the music kind of does. I was like, Oh, that's because it's Danny, Danny Elfman. Elfman. Yeah, yep. that made sense. Uh, and then, all right. So here, here's my flaw. So Norman uh, decides that he's going to test it on himself. And and they have this whole lab full of full of scientists. All of them are on board except for Doctor Strom. So of course, <laughs> Doctor Strom is the only one around. You know, the one that hates everything that they're doing to make sure that Norman is able to test it on himself. I mean, this makes no sense. Wouldn't he get one of the other doctors that actually n- likes what they're doing <laughs> to help him test this uh, after hours? Why would he get the one that thinks it needs to go back to formula? Because he was going to kill him afterwards. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, that this is it, it. That made no sense at all. Yeah. So that that's my flaw. Zach, what do you got? Okay, so um, I, Paul Rudd uh, in uh, Knocked Up says that he saw Spider Man three by himself. Did he see Spider Man by himself? Ooh, 
How long has he been was doing there, this fantasy baseball drugs? That bad in 2002. I don't think they had had Mod or Iris yet, so maybe they 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 were still like. You think they were both under five? Oh, maybe not Mod Iris for sure, but yeah, I'm guessing. I think Peter saw Spider Man in a theater by himself. Um, it's another Apato uh, theory here. Peter sits alone at the table like. Steven Glasberg. Now you had to think that Todd, right? Like you had to know that and make that connection, right? I wasn't the only one. I, I didn't think of that, but that that's pretty good. I thought the bullies at the beginning of this movie looked like they were cast as bullies from Boy Meets World. That 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 was like an overlap. It felt like that big kid in Boy Meets World, the the fat guy who befriends Sean Frankie. And Frankie, yes, that's it. I felt like that could have been a recastable moment. Um Boy, the product placement in this movie, pretty wonderfully early 2000s, back when product placement was a thing. I, I wrote down a lot. I wrote down Sony. We've got uh, Dr. Pepper, Lay's, Tropicana, Orange Juice, and both Suntory and Maker's Mark Whiskey. Impressive for Centauri. a PG-13. Make it a Centauri time, yeah. uh, like Bob Harris says. Mr. Bob Harris! Um, and then the last thing I had was um, I thought the Green Goblin looked suspiciously like the Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> like he's green and he's flying in the sky and he's got smoke coming out of his ass. It's very like Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> I don't know how anyone in 2002 didn't see it and, and make that say it's the tap Sam on the back. Say, Sam, listen, he looks a little bit like Wicked Witch of the West. Can we do something a little bit different with this character? But whatever. Maybe that was their thing. I don't know. Like I said, he looks like Zerg. I like that too. Evil imposter. Yeah. How did oh. Zach? How did you not ask us what the movie poster was in 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 a uh, Peter's room? I was there a movie poster? I saw the periodic table. What was it the was movie a, poster? Like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Oh, okay, I didn't see I it. That. Yeah. Also, I mean, like I still first... think that's what it was. It, it said Invasion, but it was kind of blurry. The Maybe it was the, the movie... Invasion with Nicole Kidman. First scene of the no, movie yeah. came, out, uh, came out a few years felt later. Like, uh, felt like Forrest Gump, too, of him walking down the school bus. Can't say here. And that, oh, that, oh, yeah. That's a great call. Yeah, that's exactly out of Forrest Gump. Yeah, it was straight out of Forrest Gump. And then the other thing I thought that was really interesting is uh, the ads in Times Square. I mean, you had the Centauri whiskey ad, but you also had a cup of noodles ad like on the big billboard in Times Square. I found that really odd. I thought it was interesting that Storm and Norman was a Maker's Mark man. wasn't wasn't expecting that. Yeah, yeah. This that, this was a year before Lost in Translation, wasn't it? Yes, so it Centauri, was. So Santori, it was, it was it had nothing to do with that. Yeah, and another connection. How was Scarlett Johansson not MJ? Like that, that that would have been my mm -hmm. 2002 recasting, but like she would have like all due respect to Kirsten Dunst. She does the Kirsten Dunst thing. It's fine, whatever. But I think Scarlett Johansson would have been an amazing MJ. I agree. I agree. All right. LVP MVP. Then we'll wrap this up with quote of the day. So LVP MVP. I'll go first. Uh, my LVP are is the uh, designers of the spider holding cell in the laboratory. I mean, mm. how does one just escape? <laughs> I mean, that doesn't make. And then the lady doesn't even realize. It's like, oh, someone else must be working on it at the time. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So that's my LVP, and my MVP is uh, Chad Kroger from Nickelback for making one of the best <laughs> banger songs. 
of any of any movie of uh, of the 2000s. That's only on the very end of the end credits, which I didn't remember. No, it's the first one. It's the first song. It's not right when the credits start. Well, but it, it, it pops up really quick after that. And they say that a hero. I mean, it's a, I love that song. That song. <laughs> much, it's much better than the Sum 41 song that comes on afterwards because Sum 41 was a thing at that time, too. Yes, so, so was Macy Gray. <laughs> so was Macy Gray. All right, Zach, what do you got? I was going to go Macy Gray as my MVP, but I'm actually going to go with Joseph D'Onofrio in this movie who played the opinionated cop. Do you know who Joseph D'Onofrio was, his most famous credit prior to Spider-Man? No. He's the opinionated cop when they do the whole cinema verite thing of interviewing people on the street about Spider-Man, which is very intriguing in this movie. (laughs) Oh, he stinks and I don't like him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, He played young Tommy in Goodfellas, which is one of the great... A younger actor playing an older actor performances because he actually looks like Joe Pesci. And in this movie, he looks like Joe Pesci and he looks like Joe Pesci <laughs> in the opening scene of uh, Home Alone when he's dressed up as a cop, <coughs> minus the gold tooth. But it's it's there if you make the connection. He's also in a Bronx tale, Todd. Yeah, he was in a Bronx tale. I was looking up his IMDb. Are we doing mm. LVP too? Yeah. Okay, my LVP of this movie was uh, the mother who left her baby unattended in the fire. Because, I mean, really. Like that's just that's just bad yeah. parenting. When right she there. doesn't know that like somebody else was couldn't be in her apartment if everybody that she knows was already out. When they said like, "Oh, somebody's still up there," like who? That was her apartment. Don't you think that the the Green Goblin's attempts to lure in Peter are so lame? <laughs> okay, he's disguised as the woman in in the burning building, and then he somehow uh, gets onto Mary Jane's phone line when Peter calls her. That is like. Come on, Sam. Can we get a little bit more creative than that? that that's like when, when this movie is like cute. It's like, oh, this is so cute. This is so old. Like, this is, wow. This is very, very simplistic, uh, pr- primitive storytelling. All right, Todd. Uh, my LVP is Kevin Feige, who apparently is an executive producer on this, but uh, he turned this into what is the, the nonsense that we get now. But uh, this is back when this was actually a thing. Like, we actually really liked going to the superhero movies. And the MVP is Tobey Maguire's workout regimen because he does really beef up. Like, he, he, you could tell that he actually was that scrawny and became that strong. He, not like in Captain America where he's like, you know, uh, a CGI to get him to look like a little, like, shorter and skinnier that is yeah i like true. how overnight toby mcguire also got tan did you notice that <laughs> yeah too? yeah that, that helps. <laughs> it's, it's much better than, that lasik surgery too it's much better than kevin spacey's workout regimen in american beauty which was non-existent yeah yeah true all right quote of the day time uh we'll start with zach so my quote of the day comes from Molly's game, and it is when Player X is uh, talking to Molly, and he says, you know, I don't like playing poker. And Molly says, well, why do you play? And he says, I like destroying lives. Mm. Great line. Michael Sarah as Peter Parker. Why was that never a thing? It's wrong. I mean, he would have had to be Peter Parker when Andrew Garfield got it. Like that would he would have been, been better than Andrew Garfield. Can we all agree that Andrew Garfield was the worst Peter Parker? No, he was the best one of the three. <laughs> Clearly, I mean, he was the oldest one, but he was the best. He was the best Peter. It they're all they all play it so differently. 
Well, he he's the one you could actually tell was like the the nerd that actually could become an actual like you know physical specimen. I completely disagree with that, and I also will go back to something Terry mentioned at the, at the beginning of this podcast. We did see Spider Man three together, Terry, and I yes, liked it. I liked Spider Man three more than Spider Man one or two. What? Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was fun. I liked the dancing sequence. I liked seeing Jack back in action. Thomas Hayden Church. THC. It was it was a fun experience. I, I remember enjoying it. Now I think I was pretty intoxicated at the time, but it, that probably added to its charm. You, you liked seeing him in Spider Man Three, but you didn't like seeing him in Spider Man No Way Home when he popped up again as the same character. Uh, no, I liked I liked him. Movie. In, I liked him in Spider Man uh, No Way Home. That that was uh, definitely one of the better parts. I'm looking at my list right now. When did Spider Man Three come out? Oh seven. Oh seven, I have it above. Oh no, I shouldn't say this out loud. I have it above before the devil knows you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you suck. Uh, I was thinking right. about doing that as a and walk hard movie. <laughs> and walk hard. And walk hard. Yeah. You bastard. All right, Todd. What's your quote of the day? Uh, mine comes from Jameson, and he says, "Slander is spoken in print; it's libel. Yeah, so everything mind. we say is slander." And uh, I'm. I'm totally okay with that. I like that line too. Jameson's very quotable in this movie. He's got the best dialogue. You, you stole you stole it from me again, Todd. That was exactly <laughs> what I had written down. Well, originally I had I trust my barber down, mm-hmm. and then and then that got used way too much. So I, I had the slander spoken in print. It's libel, and yeah. Well, you're welcome. Yeah, yeah. All right. So for my quote of the day, then what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go back and I'm gonna um, quote Harry Half's. Uh, uh, joke that he gives in in the Survivor. <laughs> oh God! About yeah, the joke that joke that took him like twenty years to tell. <laughs> <laughs> like as if anybody would remember the joke that he was uh, trying to tell one day twenty years ago. All I'll say is he had a hat. <laughs> uh, that's that, that's my quote of the day. It's a good joke, but not worth waiting <laughs> fifteen years joke. for. <laughs> no, it's not. But it's a good joke. It's a good joke. All right. With that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be back at you next week with another episode. Until then, have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your cross behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.